0: You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's
1: School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Welcome to this edition of Preaching Source. I'm David Allen, the dean of the School of Preaching here at Southwestern Seminary. Today on Preaching Source, our guest is Dr. Barry McCarty. Dr. McCarty is a seasoned pastor and preacher, and professor. He holds a Ph.D. from the University of Pittsburgh in rhetoric and argumentation. Dr. McCarty is right here, a professor on our faculty in the School of Preaching at Southwestern Seminary and doing a superb job. Many of you may know of Dr. McCarty as the uh, chief parliamentarian of the Southern Baptist Convention. You may have seen him up on the convention floor. Uh, up there leading us during our annual meetings of the Southern Baptist Convention. So, Dr. McCarty, it's a pleasure to have you today here on Preaching Source.
0: Thank you, Dr. Allen. I'm glad to be on this side of the microphone this morning.
1: Well, now let me ask you this as we begin, Dr. McCarty, since your PhD is in rhetoric and argumentation, what in the world is rhetoric and why should preachers use it? Well, Rhetoric is simply
0: the art of persuasive speaking and writing Uh, and that's been so since the time of the ancient academies of Greece and Rome to modern times. Uh, Rhetoric's also always been considered a part of a classical education in liberal arts. Along with grammar and logic, rhetoric forms the trivium of arts that pertain to thinking and speaking. Uh, And the reason preachers should study rhetoric is to be able to sharpen their skills in using language effectively and persuasively. Uh, Brian Garner, uh, who's probably the leading English usage expert today, uh, Garner is an attorney uh, originally, and, and then he's become an expert in language as well. He does writing seminars for attorneys. Brian Garner said that a lawyer gets paid for only two things, to speak persuasively and to write persuasively, so they, they need to do it well. I'd say the same thing is true of a preacher. Uh, really, a preacher's job, everything a preacher does involves speaking or writing, so it behooves us to learn the principles of doing it well.
1: Well, let me ask you this then. Does the preacher have a right to use persuasive speech, and, and what's the difference between persuasion and manipulation when it comes to preaching? I
0: appreciate the question, because sometimes we use the word rhetoric in a disparaging way, that, oh, well, that's mere rhetoric, and it carries the idea of trying to manipulate people. But actually, as we said at the top of the last question, that rhetoric is simply the use of persuasive speech. I would argue that God is the original rhetor. God is the one who created human logic and language, so it's God that created the capacity for us to be able to change people's minds through language. Uh, the Bible, while it is divine revelation, certainly, uh, it's also a rhetorical discourse in the highest sense of that term. It, it, God persuades us through Scripture, and so we persuade one another through preaching. Uh, In describing Christian ministers as ambassadors for Christ, who preach the gospel and implore people to be reconciled to God, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And Paul's biblical term there, the Greek term that Paul uses for persuade, patho, it's the same term that the Greek rhetoricians used to describe the aim of rhetoric, to convince someone to believe something and then to act on that belief. So I would argue that the business of rhetoric is precisely the business of the preaching of the gospel. It's to persuade people. Uh, And the principles of rhetoric are simply the principles of of how to do that well. Uh, You'll find, even in the New Testament, because the New Testament was given to a Greek-speaking world, you'll find even some of the Greek forms of public address reflected in the sermons in, uh, in the New Testament. So it shouldn't surprise us that classical rhetoric uh, became valued by Christian preachers from the earliest years. And then by the fourth century, when Augustine devotes one of his four books on, uh, in, on Christian doctrine, It's it, the fourth book is about the art of persuasion.
1: Dr. McCarty, we've all heard preachers who after they have preached, we would scratch our heads and say, what in the world did he just say? I couldn't follow his train of thought. Um, listening to some preachers on occasion is like uh, being present at an explosion in a printing factory. And it just seemed like uh, words uh, go everywhere and there's no logic or train of thought to what's being said. I hear that criticism occasionally from preachers, uh, from people who listen to so let me ask you this question why is logic and language important for preaching?
0: Well it, it these are the things that God invented to enable us to perceive the world around us and then to be able to communicate those perceptions to one another. Uh, we think because that's how God made us God made us as reasoning creatures. And uh, even secular philosophers uh, uh, simply discovered the innate ability that God put in human beings to both perceive the world around them, to perceive truth, and then to communicate truth in propositional language. Uh, Aristotle defined, uh, all the way back in in you know the fourth century B.C., Aristotle the philosopher defined three acts of the mind that we in our mind we perceive things in the world around us and form concepts Uh, if I'm I'm looking across at you and and I see that you're wearing glasses and you're uh, wearing a shirt and slacks with a belt well I'm perceiving you and I'm perceiving these objects there's a microphone in front of you there's a microphone in front of me there's a table between us well the I've, I've just named things table microphone glasses belt shirt man those I'm perceiving the things in the world around me, and I'm giving names to those things. So uh, concepts, it's the basic, most fundamental act of the mind. But then we make judgments, uh, I look across and, and I see you and say, that man is David Allen. Well, now I've taken two things, man and David Allen, and I've predicated one of them of the other. Well, that's a judgment now, and that's those are propositions, and propositions are where truth lives, uh, and that's very important to preachers. So if you want to communicate truth, you're going to have to communicate it in clear propositional terms. You're going to have to predicate something of something. And then reasoning, that's the highest act of the mind. That's when we take some propositions, which are premises, and we argue to the truth of other propositions that we call conclusions. And so that, that's just how thinking and speaking works together. Uh, we think in terms of concepts that go to judgments, that go to arguments, and we express that in terms that make up propositions, and then finally we, we have arguments. So a preacher, if a preacher wants to be understood, and especially if he wants to persuade a thinking person, then he needs to make sure that his terms are clear, that his premises are true, and that his logic is valid. So those are important things because that's the way people communicate.
1: Oh, now that is very, very helpful. Well, let me ask you this, you know, I can envision some of our listeners out there, maybe a pastor who, uh, you know, took speech in college or maybe had uh, a, a course in sermon preparation or sermon delivery in seminary, but it may have been some time back, and he's thinking about that term rhetoric and the subject of our of our time together today, and he's thinking, you know, I, I recall something about rhetoric, and I recall something about the canons of rhetoric, but I just can't remember... Um, what all I read or studied in those days gone by. Can you talk to us today about the, the five canons of rhetoric and how we can apply them to preaching?
0: Yes. The the five canons of rhetoric are, are simply those five areas that the ancient Greek and Latin rhetoricians divided the field up into, because these are the five things that any speaker Uh, needs to attend to in order to put together a message that makes sense and a message that is persuasive. Uh, The canons are, first of all, invention, and that has to do with the substance of what you're talking about. So what are the facts of the case? Uh, In the terms of Scripture, Ah, uh, this is where we we look at a passage of scripture, a preachable pericope of scripture, and we say, "Well, okay, what's this talking about? What's the subject here? What's the what's the truth that is encoded in this language?" So that would be invention. Well, then uh, there's arrangement to things, and so the scripture we we say in text-driven preaching that we want preaching that is true to the substance, structure, and uh, and spirit of the text. Well, all human communication has some sort of structure, so arrangement is important. What's the uh, most—one, what's the arrangement of ideas from the biblical writer's flow of thought, and then uh, how do we arrange those ideas in the sermon so that they're intelligible to the listener and persuasive to the listener? And then uh, the third canon would be style, and this is the dress of thought. These are how do we actually clothe our thoughts in words. This is diction and and word choice, uh, using uh, words that are clear, words that are simple, Uh, the arrangement of words, uh, figures of speech and figures of thought. All of that has to do with style. Uh, And then finally uh, is delivery and memory. These used to be two separate canons because in ancient times, uh, uh, while they had paper and wrote on paper, it wasn't as common for a speaker to use notes as it was for him to completely memorize his speech. So memory in, in the years since ancient times has really been rolled into delivery uh, but ultimately, it's, it's not enough for the preacher to sit and write a sermon. Uh, the sermon has to be preached, has to be delivered it, with a voice, with gesture, with a physical presentation that is persuasive. So really, uh, the five canons of rhetoric, these are simply uh, four, five or four things that every preacher needs to think about in order to uh, persuade people.
1: Well, and speaking of persuasion, can you talk to us a little bit about the classical modes of persuasion, and why are they important to a preacher?
0: The, the Greeks and Romans—well, uh, Aristotle originated this in his uh, rhetoric that was written in 330 B.C., uh, but the other Greek rhetoricians and the later Latin rhetoricians picked up on it. But Aristotle said that there are three things that persuade listeners— And the Greek terms for them are logos, pathos, and ethos. And we've simply kept those terms even to modern times. Logos is the persuasive appeal of a sound argument supported by credible evidence. So as you're looking at the sermon itself, if the sermon makes sense, uh, if it's well-reasoned, if it's well-argued, if, well if, if you read the sermon and say, you know what, that makes sense, I think he's proved his case here, then that's the appeal of logos. Uh, pathos is moving your listeners by touching their emotions. So as you're listening to the sermon, uh, there, there ought to be, in every sermon, there ought to be some emotion that is appropriate to what the sermon is teaching. Uh, maybe it's joy. Uh, perhaps it's, it's a holy fear, or sympathy, or love, or anger, or whatever it is, but uh, human beings are not just, uh, you know, we're not Vulcans like Dr. Spock. We're, we're human beings, so we have emotions, and usually we don't do anything on pure logic. Usually we have to have good reasons in our head, but we also have to have some sort of emotion in our heart that moves us. And then the, the third uh, uh, mode of persuasion is ethos, and you can hear our English word ethics and ethical in ethos, uh, because ethos has to do with the speaker's character. And that's the persuasive appeal of a speaker that we have come to trust. Uh, Aristotle also said that ethos was made up of three things, intelligence, moral excellence, and goodwill. And and actually, if you stop and think about it, that makes sense. We tend to believe people that we think are smart enough to, to have the right answer. We, we don't believe a speaker if we think he's too stupid to know what he's talking about. So intelligence is a part of ethos. Uh, moral excellence is a part of ethos. That is, we tend to believe good people rather than crooked people. Uh, and then uh, goodwill. Uh, we tend to believe people that we think are kindly disposed toward us. We'll believe a friend more quickly than we'll believe an enemy. So those, all those have to do with the speaker's character. and And actually all three of these things. It's not, well, today I'm going to use logos, and tomorrow I use pathos, and next week I'll use ethos. No, these things are all tied together. Uh, An effective sermon, an effective preacher, will tend to his character and how he's perceived. He'll tend to the logic, uh, touching the listeners' heads. He'll also attend to touching their hearts.
1: Well, now let me ask you one final question in our time together here today. Uh, Dr. McCarty, one of your rhetoric seminar students told me that you said a well-used English dictionary ought to be on every preacher's desk, just like a Gideon's Bible is in every hotel room. Now, why is that?
0: <laughs> well, you have been talking to my rhetoric students. That is precisely what I say to them. Uh, one of the things in in my doctoral seminar in rhetoric, while it's an advanced course here at the seminary one of the things that i do with those advanced doctoral students is to teach them something very basic about an english dictionary you see all the things we've been talking about this morning the uh, the pers- effective persuasive use of words well unless you have words are your tools and unless you know how to use those tools uh, effectively and precisely and persuasively. Well, you 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 can't do anything without good tools. So I I really teach uh, my students how to squeeze every last drop of usefulness out of their English dictionaries. Now, a lot of, most of these guys by the time they get to me they they've had Greek and Hebrew so they're well versed in using biblical lexicons. Well, I bring them back to their native language and say, look, the same thing you look to these lexicons to do, do that with your own language. Do that with your English dictionary. Uh, First thing in a dictionary, you ought to know precisely what a word means in order to use it. And uh, you ought to to be looking up uh, synonyms for you ought to choose not just a good word and not just the right word, but precisely the right word. Well, that not only takes a thesaurus it takes a good dictionary to know exactly what the word you've chosen means and then you ought not use any word that you don't know how to pronounce so uh, that's in your dictionary as well and these days oh my goodness the advantage in our generation I walk around with a smartphone I have the entire American Heritage pronouncing dictionary on my smartphone I pull out my iPhone I've got the American Heritage Dictionary, the Merriam-Webster 11th Collegiate Dictionary. I've even got the Oxford Shorter English Dictionary, and all of these are pronouncing dictionaries. So my phone will tell me how to pronounce a word, or the paper dictionary, you can read the pronunciation. Uh, But there's no excuse for a preacher mispronouncing a word, or using a wrong word in a wrong sense, or failing to use the right word because your dictionary can tell you all those things. Uh, you also ought to know how to spell the word right. If you, you, know, if you write a column and in your church newspaper, you write an article for a journal. And then uh, the word histories, sometimes the etymology of a word, the history of the word. You, you can find some great sermon illustrations mm-hmm. in word histories. Uh, and then probably the thing that I most emphasize with my students are uh, those dictionaries, like the American Heritage Dictionary, that have usage notes and usage labels. Those are incredibly helpful. Uh, And I'll go one farther than that, uh, because many of the modern dictionaries have become more descriptive than prescriptive. I also uh, have my guys purchase a good English usage manual, Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you the best one right now is uh, by Brian A. Garner, Garner's Modern English Usage, uh, published by Oxford University Press. It's now in a fourth edition, and actually in November of 2016, in just a few weeks, uh, Garner is coming out with an iPhone app. Probably by the time our listeners are hearing this uh, uh, preaching source podcast, that app will probably be out uh, but Garner's Modern English Usage is the best usage guide to good English, and it may be the greatest usage guide ever written. He, I think Garner is to the 21st century what H.W. Fowler was to the 20th. Uh, but Garner will give you advice on how the most careful speakers and writers will use a word. So uh, actually, if if I were to recommend two things for every preacher in terms of English language resources, I would say uh, American Heritage Dictionary and Garner's Modern English Usage. You learn how to use those two books, and you will learn how to speak with some precision and skill.
1: Listening to you answer that question reminds me of uh, the famous statement by Mark Twain that the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and the lightning bug. And of course, that's exactly what we preachers are about, is using language well. We're wordsmiths, really, and the, uh, the art and science of using language well is so vital to what we do. We're about turning the ear into an eye so that people can see it so they can live it. Dr. McCarty, we're in your debt today for sharing with us these insights, and thank you so very much for your time. I know that each of us will be benefited greatly from what you shared today, and so thank you so very much for being on this edition of Preaching Source uh, podcast. It has been a pleasure.